everybody, it is I, uh, Ryan, as always, host of DM Told Me To, and back here with the next installment of Oromon, the weekly update. Again, this one was a little late. Sorry about that. Got a lot of stuff going on with family life. School, school's ending within a month or so. My Most of my classes will be done. I also go to two colleges or universities right now, so that's a lot. <laughs> uh, working on two, air quotes, three degrees, so that's it's a time. But I'm still making time when I can to, to do this, right? So, um, yeah. So, I want to give you guys next installment. I didn't do a ton of stuff, and I'll explain why coming up soon, because it took a while to do something. I know I didn't, like, do... Uh, what's the word? Like, a quantity... Like, I did a lot of quantity, but not a lot of in-depth quality. That makes sense. So, I did a lot of things, just... Like, like I did a lot of things specifically, just not a lot of things broadly. Okay, I'll explain that one later to that. Anyway, anyway, we're here to go through this. Also, if you've been listening on YouTube, if you wouldn't mind going on, the listening, going on your usual listening platforms and either hearting the episode that's on or leaving a quick review on what you think of the project so far, just so I can see what people's thoughts are, because there's a lot of people that are in the Discord that also watches and check this out. So I'm very curious in hearing what you guys think. Um, and also by going on to the other things and giving downloads, it helps spread the word about this too. So if you really like this project and this builds a great following, then... It'd be great to see this take off. So anyway, anyway, and it's been going really good. Like every time I look, we get more comments and different things. It's been great. Anywho, let's get to it. So, Orman, uh, this time, uh, to give you show you the table of contents, right? We got our table of contents here. And like I said, always for those that are listening, if this is your first time listening to our show or my show, I should say, um, great. Well, hello, welcome. Um, if, if it's easier for you after you've downloaded or listened to this episode or even just want to listen to this podcast, totally cool. A lot of people do that. Um, I try my best to go in depth for those listening. If you're watching on YouTube, because we have a YouTube, that episode's probably linked down below. You can check it if you want to be able to physically see my screen. Otherwise, I just try my best to put the links on everything so you can see it anyway. So you can see as I'm talking about it if you rather listen to this podcast. Anyway, um, as you see, chapter four, spell lists. <laughs> Boy, 198 spells I've added so far, and I have not gone beyond level 3. I've made up to 3. I haven't done any 4th or higher level spells yet, just because it's taken so long for me to figure out things. Um, anywho, so, um, some new stuff's added. Um, in section 1, creating an Oromancer, um, I've added the bonding section, and I've, and I've adjusted and moved around some things. I put key card and bonding at the end of everything, so that that's all together at the end of number uh, uh, 1, so that key card and bonding are together, and, and they overlap. You'll see when we get to that, so... Anyway, let's go down here. Got our table of contents updated. Um, like I said, I added page numbers. Couldn't remember if I did it last time, but it's here now. Um, expressive reach section, as you know in the book. Got our introductory note. I just realized something in the introductory note I'm going to fix quick while I'm talking with all you guys. Um, potentially someday, if, if this takes off and people would like to, looking for feedback on things, as I'm working on this book, I potentially just could go live on Twitch and talk with you guys and get feedback about life as I'm editing it and just make a video after talking about the stuff that we did. And that way I can get direct feedback from you guys instead of me having a question on Discord or something or on the social media and then waiting for people to hear back. If I was to go live with things, maybe that could help build a bigger group too. Yes, anyway, um, as always, if you're a playtest or anything, you'll be thanked in the introductory note and things. Um, I finally got the playtest thing up on the Discord. So if you go into Discord, Go to the announcements section and you're like, yeah, well, I want to be a playtester and react with that little dragon icon. I'll add you to the list there. So when it releases, I can just be like, hey, playtesters, let me know what you think playing with after home games. Or if you want to play with me as a playtester, I do. At some point when this is done, I will need a group of people to play with. So playtesters would be the first people I'd probably go to. <laughs> Potentially asking. So anyway, anyway. Um, okay, so we went through creating an armaster. We've done that before. Yada, yada, done that before. Um, 
talked about the starting decks for everything. We did that. And I was able to figure out um, how to fix the Celestial Class Path. If you notice, like, the bullet's back on the, right, back on the left side where it should be. It was up on the top right side, a single bullet from the list on the previous thing. That must have shifted around and as I was doing stuff. Every time I come to it, it always looks different and updates itself and stuff slips around. So anyway, um, continuing on. Yes, so here's the page six of the module, or it's page six of the book so far. I flipped things around. I used to have bonding and or I used to have key card and all that stuff on the, le on the left side and I had all the other stuff on the right, but now I flip stuff around. So key card is now at the end and I'll refresh people on what key card is just because so, that'll make sense for what's coming. Key card, you have grown quite attached to your cards. While at a guild hall, parentheses, or a safe place to long rest with an elite Auromancer, and parentheses, you may choose an Auromon to represent your deck. When that card is played outside of a fight, it doesn't have a one hour summon time and instead can stay out for as long as you'd like, right? So the idea behind the key cards, to say quickly, um, I'll finish reading here too, they can be switched for other monsters as an action outside of battle. If they get knocked out in battle and sent to the graveyard, they may still be summoned outside of battle afterwards. The only time they cannot is when your disc is recharging after having lost a battle or if they enter a zone known as purgatory. Last episode, uh, we talked about what purgatory is and we talked about things like that. So, um, quick refresher, right? If you're fighting with a Oromon, it's out fighting somebody else, maybe doing attacks and stuff, your Oromon's getting a beating and you're like, this is my last, like, you're like, I don't want to have this be one of my deaths to count because remember two deaths and your disc shuts off and that's it you lose all power to your disc and you can't summon creatures you basically air quotes lost the fight right and if you're fighting a wild creature that could be really bad so you can choose to discard cards equal to the Auromon's rarity to i think it was rarity uh let me check real quick i'm, I'm like almost positive it was rarity just checking the battles things yes based on its rarity to send it to purgatory which is an area that's a strange place that's not an actual connection with the Oro like the disc like the graveyard is Right, so by doing that, you can freely send him away to this, he or she, this, this Oromon, right, this creature, away to another area of existence, a different plane, right? And by doing that, it doesn't count as an Oromon being sent to the graveyard and knocked out. It doesn't count as one of your deaths. So naturally, if that's your key card and he's in another area that's outside of this plane, obviously he can't be someone outside of battle, right? So until you take a long rest and he comes back, etc. But anyhow, so... That's key cards, right? So in a nutshell, it's um you pick a, you pick you pick your best buddy. You pick an Oromon that you want to represent you in a fight, rather in Pokemon Ash usually had Pikachu, right? And everyone had like the known Team Rocket had Meowth that was always out, right? Or if you think about Yu-Gi-Oh, they had the spirit monsters, right? There was always like Winged Karibo that was always floating around Jaden and things like that, you know? So that's kind of the vibe I was going with. So kind of Pokemon, kind of Yu-Gi-Oh, and so it'll always be out, right? You don't have that time restraint as you would if you summoned another creature but summoning another creature can also be helpful for things too to see okay i need to have this out to help me do a simple task right and we talked about this in previous episodes where maybe it's summoning summoning a goblin to help deter if you're if you're traveling in a group on a wagon and goblins ambush your wagon right and you're like well none of us can speak goblin but i know djas over here he can he he is a goblin card. He summons it, and then the goblin's able to communicate with the other goblins and rolls very well on his persuasion check to tell the other goblins, like, perhaps maybe the goblin that Dijah summons is saying um, things like, I know, no, these, these, these guys are with us. I, I keep capturing them as a prisoner to bring to my camp. It's okay. I have it from here. Thank you. And then, like, maybe all the players are pretending to be shackled henchmen or, or shackled, like, prisoners, right? And then the wild goblins go away, and now the goblin... 
that DJ has summons, gets maybe a little high five and then disappears after an hour because he was able to do a task and help him. So that's just one of those cool things where it's, you know, having being able to summon a creature and having to always be out of your buddy, but also having the opportunity to switch it out when you need to is, is pretty nice. Anywho, so why did I go into key cards again? Because that's involved with bonding. So the bond between the Oromancer and the Oru is paramount to being able to draw its power to use for your needs, right? Meaning your connection to the magical aura of this world, or Oru, if you're calling of Oru, right? Oru, is um, being able to let you summon creatures and being able to let you cast spells to, to, for your needs. So as you and your Oromon, um, as you and your Oromon for needs... Oh, okay. As you and your Oromon... What did I say here? I'm sorry. I... Typed a lot of this up when I was pretty exhausted the other night. So if the grammar looks a little awful for those watching, I, I'm sorry. Uh, let's see. So as you and your Oromon, um, for needs to cause... Okay. Oh. As you... There it is. I didn't... I just missed a word. As you use your Oromon for needs to cause others harm, the aura will limit your spell summoning ability, especially through your key card. Just going to quick capitalize that. Because key card is like a term. So your key card. Depending on your bond with your Oromon will determine its level towards you. Some evolutions may revert or change their bonds towards you at first due to having gained such great power. And that adds a mechanic, whereas suffuses and maybe you fuse a pretty lawful evil character or a chaotic evil creature, right? Whose stat block already says that it's naturally an evil or wild creature. Its bond you might change depending on when it's out, how it is with you, needs to be adjusted, right? So that which has a different twist, right? Because in Pokemon, there's some Pokemon that didn't listen to their trainers, right? So that, that adds that element there. And um, so depending on your bond with your Oromon will determine its level towards you. Some evolutions, like I said, may revert, it, may revert or change their bond towards you at first due to having gained such great power. This bond is ultimately determined by your DM, okay? So what that means, uh, I give some examples. Examples to gain levels in bonding is winning a tough fight, seeking out food and snacks together, spending time together outside of fighting. Examples of lowering your bond to, you, to the Oro include earning a card in your binder through an unconventional way, mistreating or abusing your key card summons, doing harm to Oromon in general. So, so what that means is, right, as you are summoning creatures, fighting with creatures, if you're someone that naturally uses them in evil ways, because remember, the, the Oru is like this magic force that's intertwined with everything, right? So it, it can kind of tell if you're abusing it, meaning if you're summoning creatures to be your slaves, right? Could be a good example. Um, or if you're using your Oromon to attack, like if there's like an evil Oromancer and he's using his Oru, like he summons an Oromon that lets him take control of a battalion of undead let's say maybe maybe it's a evil oromancer playing the bad guy right the big baddie of a guy and he summons a lich and that lich now summons armies of undead outside the local town cemetery and starts to attack a town that lich's connection to its evil oromancer would drop probably from the stages here and the, the levels are here as well so we'll go into them quick well not quick because it the levels took me a while. <laughs> took me a while to figure out how i wanted to work it and things but i think i got a rough a rough thing here so the worst in Oromon, it ranges from minus three to positive to plus three or positive three, right? With zero being neutral. So zero says Oromon act like their alignments, but are neutral and will not act against the player's wishes. Wishes outside of battle, it will act as it would in the wild, but will still follow commands, right? So if you summon a creature that is um, lawful evil, it will listen to your commands. It will listen just fine. Your bond to them is normal. They'll listen to everything you say in fights. They'll do everything that you ask them to do. 
But if they're not attentive, they might maybe just pickpocket somebody. If you summon like an like an assassin or rogue to walk alongside you, you know. So, um, other things include. So as it goes from zero, sorry, I have a bunch of messages going off my phone right now because I, uh, I was reaching out. A quick side note, because this will come up later. Um, I've been reaching out to different artists on Reddit because, turns out, um. As I'm working on the creatures, I was like, you know, maybe I could commission an artist or something online to help me be able to make creatures for this project. Because ultimately, like I said, <laughs> most of the creatures are going to have one to two evolutions. So those need their own art and I'll have to make their own stat blocks. So every week, next weekly updates, every once in a while, I can then discuss, hey, here's the few monsters that got dropped this week. Here's their abilities. What do you guys think? That could be a cool thing too. So what I also mean with that is... Commissioning is awesome when I like to reach out to people. Commissioning also means money and finance. And being a college kid, I don't have a ton of that. So I am like 95% over the Patreon. Um, they emailed me back today saying that they were able to fix something that I had a problem with that was limiting me to doing something. So got that fixed. So hopefully that'll be up at some point this week. Hopefully we'll see. And then that way, hopefully people can start to donate. You can start submitting your own monsters, your own ideas. If you're in certain tiers, you can start doing Q&As. You'll... Any tier you're in the dis in the Patreon, by the way, you'll be in this book confirmed. The tiers are going to be in the book once people start joining. Um, eventually, at some point, there's a level that lets you play Ormon with me, and once a month, and we'll just have a game session, right, where we play, and that could be a fun thing. So you can get stickers for your computer based on DM told me to, or stickers for bottles, whatever it is. Um, also, so that's cool. Anywho, I digress because hiring artists is going to be a lot. So please keep in mind too, if anything on Patreon would always, always go to this project. I would not use it for any personal gain because ultimately I, I care about this project a lot, right? So um, I, anyway, I digress. Let, let me keep going. So now we're breaking into the tiers here. So level three tier. So the worst, the worst in Oro um, connection to the Oro could be. It's called the emotion that your mons will exhibit is hatred. Hatred-filled Oromon will not want to follow your commands and instead will act on their own instinct, which, which may very well involve harming you, the summoner. The Oromancer must roll a 15 or higher on a d20 every time they command an, an action to their keycard Oromon. Otherwise, it fails. So what that means, right? That means that your guy that's starting out in the because remember your key card is usually usually always out with you right so if a battle engages you you start with him already out so you don't have to worry about mulliganing you're always gonna have a creature out you're fine you get that advantage of always having a creature you don't let your opponent have any benefit because you always have the key card out but let's say you've you've abused your powers and obviously it's dm discretion right let's say that you're using oromon to kill innocent people let's say you're using oromon to just attack people for fun and spite maybe you're a murder hobo and the dm just doesn't like you whatever it be which shouldn't be the case dms you should always try to work with players but players on the other hand too you know anyhow anywho so that means you've gotten to the worst part and it's very rare for things to reach minus three or plus three you have to do extraordinary circumstances to reach those levels so maybe big baddie of a guy always has a minus three when he summons his creatures but there's some creatures that maybe fuel on hatred that fuel on despise maybe there's some demons or um devils or lords for hell that fuel and get their power from hatred so maybe you want to be a bad oromancer to have full power of them and that adds interesting concepts with uh, future evolutions and things too. So, um, okay, so that was minus three. Minus two, which is despise. So, two down from neutral. Despise filled Oromon do not care of your wants and needs and will sometimes go off on their own instincts. The Oromancer must roll a 10 or higher on a d20 every time they command an action to their keycard Oromon. Otherwise, it fails 
command of otherwise it fails command of them yeah so that your Oromon just doesn't do its thing they just go on autopilot they do whatever they could attack you right so minus one loss of trust loss of trust start to show in your Oromon they now have a minus one to any saving throw they make so they're losing trust in you they're losing trust in themselves they're, they're starting to be thinking in their head they're like can i trust this, this person that's summoning me can i trust this connection i formed with them like they're having me do these evil things I, I really don't want to do. Like, I'm not meant to do these evil things, but they want me to do these evil things. And I just, I, I don't know what to think anymore. And so that causes a minus one to any saving throws they make. We talked about neutral, right? Neutral act like their normal alignments. They're neutral to follow your commands, all that. Like a bond, it's fine. But they'll act on their own accord at times outside of battle because it's just neutral. There, there are creatures after all, right? You summon a pig, that wild boar and pig is going to act like it would. <laughs> but it'll follow your commands. <laughs> All right, let's say that you've been doing a good job with your Aromon. You maybe fought a few Coliseum fights, whatever your DM has planned for your campaign. Maybe you've helped defeat some, help save some towns from some null attacks, whatever it is, right? And you've grown attached to your Aromon that you've had as a key card. So now that they've reached the level of content. So a content Aromon enjoys traveling with you and sees how your bond with the Oro has been for good. They gain a plus one to any saving throw they make. So obviously the inverse of loss of trust, right? um pretty self-explanatory they're feeling content with you they're happy to be with you they're like this guy he's fighting for good he's helping protect people i can respect that and i enjoy working with him your ormond's content joy uh two on the uh levels of bonding so joy a joy-filled ormond recognizes your connection with the oru growing and loves to see your bond grow when summoned, they increase their maximum hit point by two times their level until they leave the key card slot, right? So you summon your key card. Let's say that creature is level five. That creature now has two, uh, has 10 more hit points. Because they're level five, five times two is 10. So they have added 10 more hit points to their total. Pretty good. I mean, 10 hit points, you gotta understand. That, that's a potential hit from a creature, right? Any extra hit points in the world of D&D added on top of your maximum hit points, it, I think great, right? Because that leaves more room to be healed. That leaves more room to survive. Because even if you're at two hit points, two hip, the thing about D&D hit, hit points, right? Which is, I could potentially do a DM direction on is it's a whole, <laughs> it's a whole thing, right? But it sparks no version. The thing about hit points in D&D is it, it's not like you necessarily get weaker when you have less hit points, like in other MMORPGs, things like that. You either have one hit point and you're alive, or you have none and you're unconscious. So because you now have a 10 hit point maximum because your, your bond with your Oromon has grown so much that even if that 10 hit point meant that you're now at one because you've taken hits, you're still alive at one. You're still fighting at one. You're not out. So any hit points is great in my, in my eyes. And then the, the top tier best friend, right? You're the best friend. You made that best bond. Your bond with your Oromon has reached its highest threshold for your connection with it. And through your valiant deeds, your Oromon now feels like they can rely on your commands through any struggle that comes your way. Meaning they're there for thick and thin. They got your back. They're always there to listen to you. You got that. Maybe you all got that handshake. You know, you got that bond with this creature that you've summoned. They keep their hit point maximum increase from the joy level. And now do not need, now do not need, I'm going to say any discard instead of A. Because that's, and now do not need any discard. When you send them to purgatory for they understand you are doing it for the common good, which is huge if you think about it, right? 
That means you still send them to purgatory, but you don't have to discard cards from your hand like we've talked about before doing for the whole purgatory mechanic. So, what that means, right? You can freely send them away and they will not cost you anything. You do purgatory, usually you're sending cards away like four or five, six, seven, depending on the rarity of the card, right? Which to your graveyard or your discard, which means those are cards you don't get to use in the fight. But, Sending them away for free means you can then use those cards, use those spells, use those other things again still in the fight. So, pretty good thing. But then, like I said, reaching best friend or hatred, the two spectrums of uh, minus three plus three, is quite hard to do. Right? It's, it, it's extraordinary circumstances. Maybe like the heroes of the story, after they defeat like the third big bad of the arc, they're level 15, 16. Maybe then you've reached best friend. If, it, if it's an Ormond that you've traveled with the whole time, you've gotten fusions for it. Your best buddy, it's the crab. <laughs> now, I'm sure if you had something, it's probably evolved by now. So, but <sighs> anywho, that was a lot. And that was bonding in a nutshell. So, I'm going to scroll down now from bonding and I'm going to go to the change log so I can show you guys everything I did this time. So, uh, 418, which is not today. It's 419 now that it's the next day because I didn't get around to it. So, in 419, I'll show you quickly what I added in the change log. I added bonding. I added spell list of levels 1 through 3, which are consisting of the strength, the celestial, the mystic spells. And I added more FAQs. Some people on other platforms asked me questions that I thought were very good that I should incorporate into the FAQs. So please leave comments on question, on, on these videos or if you're watching on YouTube, on the podcast episodes, if you have questions on things, so I can put them in the FAQs because you're probably not the only one that had these questions. Because I want to make sure that this book is almost super self-sufficient for people, right? Like if they, if, they, if they have a rules question, they could check the FAQ and hopefully it's there. And if it's not there, then they can reach out to me on Discord or whatever to ask what I mean by this. But I'd like it to be self-sufficient for people because ultimately, like, I want people to be able to have fun with not having too many questions, to be able to have a great time playing Dungeons and Dragons with having a, with having a, go back, scroll up to the title for dramatic effect, for having a CCG inside D&D, right? Having a collectible card game, that creature capture game, whatever you want to call it, inside D&D. So, yeah. Anyway, we'll get to the spells here. This is where I spent the majority. And I mean, like, hours. I have 198 spells I had to go through just for levels 1 through 3. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Cantrips. It shouldn't be 1 through 3. It's cantrips through level 3. <laughs> I'm going to fix that now quick. Can trip to 3. Alrighty, spell lists. And I have some spells open here so I could talk about, hopefully with you guys, about things that people might have questions on, why I pick certain spells the way I did. I'm just getting that now. Sorry, let's see. But there's okay. But some of them you're probably gonna look at me like, why, why, Ryan, why'd you, why'd you do this? So going through power quick. Power uh, as a reminder, right? Um, I'll show you quick. I'll read the little things here. So spell lists, chapter four, section four of the module. Casting spells or channeling the Oru in its purest form. By doing this, the Oromancer is able to fight alongside their Oromon and can even channel their spells through their Oromon as long as it's within their class path. So. You can channel spells as long as they're with their class path. So what that means is, right, because you can cast spells outside of your class path. We talked about that, right? You just suffer a penalty, etc. So we're going to power spells to, to talk about that. So power spells. With harnessing the strength of the Oru through being able to summon the mightiest of creatures and the most powerful damaging spells, you can dominate the battlefield into your favor. Your spellcasting ability will you... Okay, your spellcasting ability... 
will use your spellcasting ability. Oh no, your spellcasting ability you will use is your strength modifier. Something D&D has never done, to my knowledge. <laughs> You're probably thinking at home, strength? Does he mean to say strength? Yes. <laughs> uh, unlike intelligence through studying or wisdom or charisma, why not use your strength? And what I mean by this is, this is done through the aura recognizing your strength, no matter if it's internal or external, right? You watch animes, you watch TV shows, you watch any sort of show, the main hero has some strength to them, usually, right? Whether that's a physical strength, a psychological strength, an inner uh, protagonist strength. And that's kind of where, where, where power does not necessarily have to be super physically strong, but just strong-minded. It could mean a lot of different things. So that's where I think incorporating that strength could be an inner strength, a physical strength. It gives you different ways to play a, a power aromancer. You don't have to be uh, like the buff king or the buff knight that's protecting the people. You could be the academic schoolboy that has an inner strength. You could be just the run-of-the-mill normal average dude that has strong ties to his family and that's where he gets his strength from, you know? So there are a lot of different things of what I mean by strength when it comes to power and spells and things. So uh, the spells are organized, and this is th this next paragraph is on every section, but the spells are organized by their... Um, okay, your spellcasting ability uses your strength modifier. This is done through the aura recognizing your strength, no matter if it's an, an internal, no matter if it's internal or an external one. This next paragraph, like I said, is, is in everything. So the spells are organized by their spells levels as they would be in Dungeons and Dragons. But when first acquired, start at spell level one and need to be fused to go up in to go up in spell level. If a spell or can trip improves with you, with you casting it at a higher level instead of player level, it is the spell's own level instead. And we've talked about that before, right? We mentioned that in the section for deck building, so I wanted to reiterate again here in spells so that people understand. Because cantrips are best example, right? They'll be like, oh, add another die if you're player level five. But in, in this game mode, it's not about player level, it's about collecting cards, right? And so I wanted to emphasize that here by saying, you know, as I collect cards and I power up my spell, now this is spell level five, I can thus cast it as a fifth level firebolt spell card. Even if I'm level three. Just something to, to emphasize. Um, yes, so if a spell or cantrip improves with your casting it at a higher level, instead of a player level, it's at its it's it is the spell's own level instead. If casted on an Oromon, their weapon attacks are their melee or ranged attacks when appropriate. So I have to spe I have to specify that right because um, some spells in D and D like uh, involve using weapons. Not every creature has weapons in D&D. Some people have claws, some things have tails. So that's where I was just saying, like, you know, if it's a melee attack, best judgment, right? Has an arm on the weapon attacks, weapon attacks could be their claws. If it says ranged attack, if they have a tail or a ranged attack that lets them hit something of a distance, then it could be a ranged attack. Because some of these are like, oh, make a ranged weapon attack and then do X, Y, and Z. Make a, uh, when you use your weapon, it then explodes in holy light or fire well if you cast it on your ormon your ormon as it makes a claw attack will then explode and cast with fire right that's the general understanding because again this is where it all ties together because the world is has this aura this magic thing that flows through everything the creatures can use these spells that you command them to do into their bodies because they're all made from this same magic energy and that's where it kind of all ties together right that's where the nice little bow comes in uh anywho and then in the top of right of all these pages, it'll say something, the something spellcaster, right? So power, the strength spellcaster. 
You'll use your strength modifier whenever a spell refers to your spellcasting ability. In addition, you use your strength modifier when setting the saving throw for DC for a power spell you cast and when making an attack roll with one. I copy and pasted from the book, right? I just replaced words with saying power and strength. So, and I sell your spell save DC equals 8 plus your proficiency bonus plus your strength mod. Your spell attack modifier equals your proficiency bonus plus your strength mod. So, pretty easy. Um, and we talked about that earlier, right? When we were talking about the power class path and things like that, we were talking about, okay, you'll use your modifier, your proficiency bonus, in addition to your normal thing, and then you subtract it based on other things, or you don't add any bonus depending on if it's neutral. Okay, pretty self-explanatory. All right, power spells. Some of these I'm going to run through real quick. Other ones I'll go in depth and explain if it's like, why? So, um, and I'll show it. Power class, um, it was tough. Now I'm going to go on a little rant quick for spells. It, it was tough to, to pick out the right, the right spells for power uh, versus mystic. I'd say it was probably my, my, biggest, my biggest hump to, to climb over. Um, and, and with that being said, because mystic, I went kind of down an elemental path and trick, chaos, etc. Meanwhile, power is, is strength. Well, I had to divide with some spells and be like, okay, would this be a power spell or would this be a mystic spell? And some could go either way. So it's a big disclaimer first, like a lot of damaging spells that were usually if a damaging spell was AOE, except for some minute circumstances, I gave it to, I gave it to mystic as an AOE crowd control spell. But if it dealt damage directly, I usually gave it to power. But then you're thinking, well, Ryan, would you do the other spells for celestial? And we'll get to that in a bit so i kind of had in my in my in my ideas and air quotes idea right power is is the is the fighter the paladin and the the up close personal fighting class usually usually meanwhile celestial is the morph of druid cleric some paladin Right. Uh, oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Power is power is the fighter, the like barbarian, and the rogue. Right. The up class, the up close fighting classes, and you'll see that anything to help them or their allies get an edge in battle, get that get that improvement in battle, and you'll see what I mean exactly by the when we get into power. Celestial being the the right the support. The I'm going to heal you. I'm going to give you armor. I'm going to buff us in this way. I'm going to make sure that we don't die. I'm going to do stuff to ensure that that we stay alive as a team. Versus just you staying alive primarily for power. Unless it involves sneaking, stealthy, rogue shenanigans. Then I gave it to power because I was like, to do more damage, right? If you want to get surprise attack on an enemy, that's dealing more damage. That's more of a power aspect. Getting that sneaking surprise attack compared to Celestial. Hopefully that made sense. I think that makes sense, right? Meanwhile, then you have Mystic, which is just, just the spell mess. The, the wizard, the warlock, the, well, the wizard, the sorcerer, spell slinging, AoE effect problem. <laughs> and you'll see what I mean by those when we get to them again. So anyway, we're talking for almost 30 minutes here. Uh, let's get into the spells. Let's get, let's get into the spells, because spells were, oh, so hard. Because I had to go through every spell, from cantrip to three, like I said, to then break it down. I'm really putting into effort in this book, guys. I'm not half-assing it. I really care about this module, and so that's why I'm, like I said, hiring artists, etc., to hopefully give us cool pictures of creatures to incorporate in this book. So I'm excited. Anyway, okay, so going into power, and like I said, so power most damaging spells usually. Either they have the advantage in battle through sneaking and surprise attacks, or they just have high damage in general. 
Chill Touch. Um, people know what Chill Touch does. I'm pretty sure Chill Touch was a just a can't. We'll go through the cantrips first, right? Um, they are they are a somewhat of a warlock as well because warlock has some good damaging spells. And when we get to those, you'll see. Um, yeah, you just take necrotic damage um, until the end. The hand clings a target if you hit an undead target. Also disadvantage. It also had that. That's what it was. If you hit an undead target, it also has disadvantage on attack rolls against you until the end of your next turn. That was one of those ones that's like, well, it could be Mystic because it causes disadvantage problems. But then I was like, you know, Power, I think, got the least. Just scroll quick. Power, I think, got the least cantrips out of them all. So I kind of just gave them some stuff that was left. Some spells, some stuff was tough. Anyway, Eldritch Blast, obviously, one of the strongest damaging cantrips in the game. So naturally, it's going to go there. Firebolt, shooting, dealing fire damage. I figured that's straight power, straight damage. A lot of the strikes, <laughs> not all, but a lot of the strikes are in, are in power because those are about single target buff. Right, so. A little quick add uh, true strike here to read that for those at home that don't know. True strike. Uh, you extend your hand and point a finger at a target in range. Your magic grants you a brief insight into the target's defenses. On your next turn, you gain advantage on your first attack roll against the target, provided that this spell hasn't ended. If that doesn't, if that doesn't highlight the idea of the power class, right? Because you even get those eyes where you can then know, know the weaknesses, or know what makes the enemy strong, so you can switch out your arm on, you can change stuff around if you need to. Um, and looking into the enemy's defense, like with True Strike, to then gaining advantage for your next attack, that's right up power alley right that's right at the power classes alley um and then there was <laughs> there's a lot of some like utility spells that i had to throw to some class i felt were kind of appropriate like you know maybe power can mend things like after they destroy something maybe they're like oh i i, I didn't mean to break i didn't mean to break your thing here i'll, I'll mend it i'll fix it get that going good you press agitation which is just changing some appearance on you there's a bunch of those <laughs> so produce flame I felt like fire, in a, in a nutshell, really like power and fire kind of goes along together, right? With Produce Flame. Like, uh, where is it? Produce Flame right here. Um, oh, that, hang on, that True Strike is in the wrong, yeah, I thought I alphabetized these. I tried to advertise them by, by class. I think I just noticed that that one was not where it was supposed to be. That's why True Strike was up so high. There we go. Now they're back to being alphabetical. I've tried to advertise most of them. No, I advertise like them all. So, <laughs> True Strike. Um, or Produce Flame, I'm sorry. A flickering flame appears in your hand. The flame remains there for the duration and harms neither you nor your equipment. The flame shines a bright 10-foot radius and dim light for additional 10 feet. Spell ends if you dismiss as an action or if you cast it again. You, and here's the kicker that makes it a power thing. I was kind of going for You can also attack with the flame. Although doing so ends the spell. When you cast the spell or as an action on a later turn, you can hurl the flame at a creature within 30 feet of you. Make a ranged spell attack. Unhit the target takes 1d8 fire damage. Perfect. Pure. Sounds like power. Right? Hey, I have this, I have this spell I'm doing for utility for the help the group. And then I can also attack with it. So, yeah. Um, that was Power's cantrips. Power's first level spells. Okay. First level and second level spells felt like that they took me forever to go through. Also, disclaimer, um, a lot of spells that require the use of conjuring something, I kind of got rid of almost all of them without some exceptions. Uh, just because I didn't want a player to be like, oh, I summon my creature. And then, oh, I'm going to conjure this other thing. Or, oh, I'm going to conjure these fey elementals. Now I have 16 1-8 spiders. 
I'm in control of as well. And that judge was just like, no, you're already, you're already controlling one Oromon. I don't think you need to control a bunch of other ones. So a bunch of other creatures at that point, right? So except for some minute examples, and you'll see those coming up. All right, Burning Hands uh, just deals damage, I think, in an AoE. Let me get to that quick. Burning Hands. Um, yeah, as you hold your hands with your thumbs touching and the fingers spread out on a thin sheet outstretched, each creature in a 15-foot cone makes the deck saving throw. A creature takes 3d6 fire damage on a failed save for half so much on a successful one. Um, I'd be thinking, is this a Mystic? And this was, again, Mystic versus Power. Um, mystic, I feel... Mystic ended up having a lot of spells go with them and i felt like out of all the classes power was the most dwindled next to celestial Celestial had some times where they didn't have really have much oomph they really have much damage in general but they're not really supposed to so but then i was like well it makes something power versus mystic and that whole thing like i said earlier so first level um burning hands it's just it, it's one of the strongest damage dealing first level spells 3d6 that's a lot for a first level spell. So that's why I put that there. Because it was a, if anything was a, a high damaging spell for its level of spell, like for its tier, its level of spell, um, I then give it to power usually. Because the way DD does it is for every spell, except for Fireball, um, that is a large AoE kind of spell, it usually deals, I feel, less damage to an extent because of its AoE versatility. So. That's where Mystic comes in because they do more AoE, where Fireball is just a lot of damage in a pretty open area as well. So anyway, Compel Duel. That's right up the alley of Mystic or of of uh, uh Power Right. I don't have to go too much in that, I don't think. Just you attempt a creature into a duel. One creature you can see with the range, make a wisdom saving throw and a failed save. The creature is drawn to you, compelled by your divine demand for the duration is disadvantage on attack rolls against creatures other than you, right? Because you're the power guy. You're like, I want to, you're like, I want to fight you. I want to take you on. And then like, you go after my friends. Uh, all right, go ahead. You're not going to be harder. Come on my creature, right? And that's, and that's an interesting aspect. Because you realize something too about this game. This game's kind of like, Pokemon in a way, right? You're attacking with these creatures. You're fighting with these creatures. And you know, they're just out there fighting and you then say, all right, come at me. Go after my friends, disadvantage. So you summon this big thing that has a lot of AC that doesn't hit very hard, but quite quite hard to hit himself. Now it has to have them hit at him versus your friends so the other friends can go around and deal damage or flank or whatever you play within your playgroup. So that's the idea behind that for power, which is pretty good. Detect evil and good. Um, I felt like it was a good power. Oh, <laughs> um, power, there's a lot. After I went through the first three levels of spells in D&D, there's a lot of spells that let you get insights into things and i felt that the power class from getting insights into things from using its eyes and having that whole mechanic of discovering the enemy's weakness i felt also gave them the right to have spells that let you look more into a person or more into what they do or what they're about so you're gonna notice they have a lot of like detect or like like a lot of things that involve learning stuff about the other person or their area around them because I feel that they're just the most observant of the classes, we'll say. Because they want to make sure that when they fight somebody, that they have the advantage in fighting. So, um, obviously, detect evil and good. Okay, detect magic. First frequently asked question that I thought of to put down below. Because I was like, I can already tell people are going to ask how detect magic should work in this game. I'll put it down below. Question, does detect magic detect Oromon as well? Yes, it does. If a power class member uses detect magic, they can detect Oromon in the area of the spell, but will not know what they are or their school. 
So not to say things even have schools, but usually with magic, you're able to detect schools, right? So I figured just flat out, um, because in this world, the creatures are magic. So casting detect magic, he would be able to see, he could detect magic on an area and be like, okay, beyond this, beyond this area, there's like, I'm detecting three magic signals from something. So we should prepare guys. We should make sure that before we go in there, we have our guys out ready. There's something in there waiting for us. So that's cool. They don't just detect magic. They can also detect creatures. A little upgraded there. Dissonant whispers. I'm going to leave that one quick. I think that's just a uh, dissonant whispers here. Uh, yeah, failed save takes 3d6 psychic damage. You whisper something into. Yeah, racking terrible pain. You miss, they make a wisdom save. 3d6. Uh, failed will move as far away from you as possible. So that's a good. um. Again, could swing either way with Mystic, but a, but a good uh, a good spell where it's like, okay, now they're running from me. They're afraid of me. All right, I'm going to get the upper hand out. I'm going to chase them down and, and attack them while they're scared of me. So. Now, obviously, they won't run in, it says in the spell, it doesn't run into fire pit. It doesn't run onto dangerous ground or anything like that, but it's still running away from you because they're intimidated. So, good thing for that. Um, yeah, I got in staring strike. Featherfall. Featherfall, I felt, went here because I picture you're the up-close fighter, right? If something happens to the ground beneath you, you're in the front lines fighting. Usually, if something happens to the ground beneath you and you and the group's falling, now you can cast Featherfall, fling the card out, right? And then everyone falls slow, slower, which is nice. Because um, And this is where it got very hard to, to delineate between super supportive with Celestial and what I would picture a, 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 the best fighter for all different circumstances of fighting to get them there would be things like Featherfall. So, choose up the five creatures within a range. A falling creature's rate of descent slows to 60 feet per round until the spell ends. If the creature lands before the spell ends, it takes no falling damage and can land on its feet. Right? So I figured if you're going to try to attack somebody or if you're going to try to sneak around to get an advantage on somebody and they're down below you after they ran out of the building and you ran to the top thinking that they went up the stairs, and they cast Featherfall on you and your friends and you all can then jump slow, slowly without them hearing you because you're not falling to the ground, right? You're descending slowly and then you're able to land on your feet and chase after the person. Reminds it with Featherfall, I guess, right? So Guiding Bolt just deals damage. Hail of Thorns! Hail of Thorns was, I thought, an interesting one as, as well. Um, next time you hit a creature with a... Okay, here we go. Perfect. Just the example I was talking about earlier. The next time you hit a creature with a ranged weapon attack, usually... And I think I put this in the FAQ as well. Uh, okay, Conjure Barrage is an example. Let me get to that in a second. So, um, But same thing for Hail of Thorns, right? Uh, next time you hit a creature with a, with a ranged weapon attack, so I would assume that your Oromon needs a ranged attack to do a ranged weapon attack, right? Um, the spell creates a rain of thorns that sprouts from your ranged weapon or ammunition. In addition to the normal effect of the attack, the target of the attack, and each creature within five feet of it must take a dex saving throw. The creature takes 1d10 piercing damage on a failed save or half as much damage on a successful one. Reason for this being a power versus a mystic. I tried to do as best as I could for, for fairity and balance try to put elemental stuff with mystic and straight damage spells uh that deal weapon types of damage to power right that, that sounds right so by this dealing 1d10 piercing it allows you to be able to go and i wouldn't be mystic because it's just piercing it's not elemental so anyway 
Um, Hellish Rebuke, that's just damage. Again. <laughs> a lot of damaging spells, just in general. Um, yeah. A creature runs like a deck saving thrower, takes 2d10 fire damage on a failed save for half as much as a successful one by you pointing at a finger and that and, and the creature that damaged you is momentarily surrounded by hellish flame. So it's like a reactive spell to being hit because you're usually up in the front. You're usually getting hit. So you get hit, bam, now you have this fire shoot out of you, etc. So pretty cool. Hunter's Mark, obviously a power spell so that it because it affects the enemy and it gives you more damage when you hit them. Identify. Like I said. Before and I'm gonna sound like a broken record a little bit this time, guys. Sorry, but I just I went through Delta spells. So I'm just trying to justify why I did some stuff. Just a quick identify. Um, you choose an object that you must touch throughout the casting of the spell. It's a magic item or so the magic imbued in the object. You learn its properties and how to use them. Right? You're about gaining knowledge. You're about learning to get the advantage over somebody else. So if you find this magic relic and you want to know what it is, you can identify it. You know what it is. Um, inflict wounds again. Uh, damage. <laughs> Um, shield, you're the frontline fighter. You want to get that plus five to your guys AC? Guard ahead. Yeah, so you, you cast shield on your dude. You then cast compel duel. Now they have disadvantage to anybody else, but your shield as a reaction when you cast, it gives you plus five AC. Is like, okay. Uh, Tencent's floating disc. To be honest, wasn't sure 100% where to put it. Uh, I figured maybe the mindset behind the floating disc is like i said you can conjure things like a floating disc but as far as actual sentient other creatures i was like nah nah because that's just because advantage to too many things and that's kind of where um one of the spells we'll get to later on for celestial gets a little gray but um i don't want you summoning like 16 forest spiders right because just crazy tense it's floating disc um you guys are just summon a disc it follows you it can hold up to 500 pounds. That's it. <laughs> um, if more weight is placed on it, the spell ends and everything on the disc falls to the ground. So you can potentially just use it to float over areas if you need to get the better fighting advantage. Like, oh, the enemy ran across the river, not thinking you guys would go across the ranging rapids. Well, here's my floating disc. The disc is immobile while you are within 20 feet of it. So if you move more than 20 feet away from it, the disc follows you so that it remains 20 feet of you. It can move across uneven terrain, up or down stairs, slopes, and the like, but it can't cross an elevation change of 10 feet or more. For example, the disc can't move across 10 feet deep pit, nor could it leave such a pit if it was created at the bottom. So it doesn't like float up out, but, you know, there's a circumstance where the fighter can go and the other people are scared to go. And the fighter is able to move and have the disc follow you while everyone else is sitting upon the disc. Could be useful. Um, Thunderous Smite, obviously Smites are all going there, they buff up your attacks so that you deal damage, etc. right at Power's Line. Witch Smite, I'm pretty sure is along those lines as well. Witch Smite. I think I meant to put Witch Bolt. Let me just check quick. Yep, Raffle Smite's not that, Raffle Smite's in another one. Witch, oh that's new, Witch Smite, made my own spell, look at that. <laughs> Which bold. Um, yeah. I was gonna say what? Alright, second level, beast sense. Uh you get to know and sense beasts, pretty self-explanatory. Um finding in the wilderness, being able to under identify and find things in the area. Right up the rally. Yeah, oh no, no, my bad. Yeah, you can use your action to see through the beast's eyes and hear what is heard and continue so until you use your action return to your normal senses. Yeah, you basically become a um 
thing is called a woke walk. That thing from Game of Thrones where you could see through the animals. Yeah, nutshell. That's what it is. Blur right up that alley. Give me enemies disadvantage to hit you because you're blurry. Uh, branding smite again. It's a smite. We're here. Darkness. I figured giving them the element of again, um, giving enemies disadvantage to giving you advantage because it's on you. You're casting darkness on you or on a thing. Helps with that. Enlarge or reduce. We're gonna intimidate the group. The enemies might as well have my Oromon get larger, right? And then that's where it gets crazy because then you just have a creature that just was big already become a larger size. Um, which doesn't actually increase its damage or anything really. It, it does, but not by like a ton, but for aesthetics. Find traps. Obviously, if you're looking around, you want to make sure that when you're fighting for the team, you're fighting the front lines, you can find those traps. I, I picture power as not being totally the dumb frontline fighter, but some people could play it that way. There's nothing wrong with that. But I feel like that they have the utility to become like, like a smart frontline fighter. Keep metal. Obviously, you go up, touch something, starts on fire. Makes sense for them. Flame blade. Makes a flaming weapon by your guy. By your arm on hold person for interrogation, right? If somebody's running away and you're like, come back here. And you grab them and pull them back. Um, levitate. Let me levitate quick. I think it was mostly just for the whole sneaking, uh, sneaking advantage, attacking somebody because they don't see you. Uh, touch one creature of your choice you see within range. It raises vertically up to 20 feet and remains suspended there for the duration. Levitate a target that weighs up to 500 pounds. Unwilling creature that succeeds on a con saving throw is unaffected, but if you can hold an enemy up there until everyone else gets there. There you go. Uh, magic weapon, again, making weapons to fight with. Mirror image. Uh, make copies of yourself to make it harder for the enemy to hit you. If you have three duplicates, you must roll a six or higher to change the uh, attack's target to a duplicate. With two duplicates, you must roll eight or higher. With one duplicate, you must roll 11 or higher. Yeah, so you can change your attack to different duplicates. Each time a creature targets you with an attack during the spell's duration, roll a d20 to determine whether the attack instead targets one of your duplicates. So definitely about frontline fighting, right? Nothing scarier than seeing a gigantic, like, some, you as the player summon a skeleton minotaur, which I don't have with me. It's downstairs. But I have a skeleton minotaur figure, right? You, your skeleton minotaur comes running at the enemy, and then you cast mirror image on it. And now there's like three skeleton minotaurs come running at the enemies. You can bet they're probably going to turn tail and run if they thought, oh, I could take one. And then there's three. Hmm. Plus, your friends that are also there, also having their own creatures, you got your own mini army right there. <laughs> Could be a cool scene. And that's what makes this thing cool, right? Um, while Pokemon was cool because it had the elements of creatures attacking each other, which this has as well, it then lets you be able to cast the D&D spells into these creatures that you know and love from Dungeons & Dragons that gives you the advantage to fighting with things. So, um, Raven Ethelbin, I'm pretty sure just causes a harm or disadvantage to somebody, but it targets one thing. And that's where I drew a line too. I was like, you know, usually mystics are AOE, so if it targets disadvantage on one thing, I can give that to power. Uh, obviously, <laughs> see invisibility and zone of truth again, being able to see the truth in things right there. Oh, we're making good time, sort of. I'm almost done with power, and then we'll get to celestial, and then uh, mystics. So yeah, uh, third spells for power blink. Let you go to different areas, get advantage to hit somebody. Conjure Barrage. Okay, it's a frequently asked question that involves weapons. I figured I'd ask. How does Conjure Barrage work with no weapons? This should be of your Oromon releasing a multitude of attacks instead of you throwing a weapon. Oromancers rarely have weapons, right? So, um, and that's why I put rarely because I was like, I don't want to say, oh, no, you can't even have a knife. You can't even have, no. Because obviously you might have a dagger or some something. But like... 
You're usually fighting with your creatures. There's not really many blacksmiths. Instead, they've evolved into Oromon shops or what have you, right? So Conjuring Barrage, um, I'll talk about that quick just because that, that was a, when I was going over spells, I was like, this is a decent question. <laughs> uh, Conjuring Barrage, okay. Uh, you throw a non-magic weapon or fire a piece of non-magical ammunition into the air to create a cone of identical weapons that shoot forward and then disappear. Each creature in a 60-foot cone must succeed on a deck saving throw. A creature takes 3d8 damage on a failed save or half as much damage on a successful one. The damage type is the same as that of the weapon or ammunition used as component. Again, not elemental damage. It's probably piercing, slashing, etc. So I was like, instead of it casting down... If you have to throw a non-magical weapon or a piece of fire ammunition, maybe your creature jumps up in the air and then is able to quickly slam down and do a bunch of it, attack all the creatures within that time period, jump all around, attack them all, not provoke advantage, what have you. DMs, you have to be playable a little bit. Um, if there's a lot of questions that come up about certain spells, obviously, please. And you guys listening, I, I value your opinion a lot. You gotta understand. I'm here doing this in my mind, trying to filter stuff out, but there's going to be stuff I'm going to miss. There's going to be things that people are going to have questions on. Drop stuff in the DMs, DM me on Discord, let me know so I can put them in the frequently asked questions because you're probably not the only ones that have these questions. So, uh, again, Conjure Barrage, creature jumps up in the air, is able to throw its, if it's a zombie minotaur, again, throws its axe up in the air. If it's a creature that just has claws, it jumps up in the air and summons maybe spectral claws that go out and just slash into everything quick, whatever it be. Uh, create uh, food and water. Yep. Uh, Crusader's Mantle. Well, it's like great food and water. It's just kind of like... Celestial's got so many ways of making um, like good berries and other sorts of healing items. And uh, Create or Destroy Water, as a heads up, is a mystic. So I was like, I'll just let Create Food and Water go to the power. It's like, you know, they could be the one that's out there hunting. Right? And bring back food. I don't know. Some of these were hard. I tried my best. <laughs> Crusader's Mantle. Oh, I look for that. Obviously, we'll talk about Fireball quick. Uh, like I said, these like one of the strongest third-level spells damage-wise in the entire game. So naturally, I had to give it to power to do the strong attacks, right? Uh, Crusader's Mantle. Holy power radiates from you an aura with a 30-foot radius, awakening boldness in friendly creatures. Until the spell ends, the aura moves with you, centered on you. While in the aura, each non-hostile creature in the area, including you, deal an extra 1d4 radiant damage when it's hit with a weapon attack. When it hits with a weapon attack. Yeah, sorry. Um, but then again, remember, weapon attacks are usually presumed into melee attacks from your creatures anyway. So, you cast on your friends. This was This was probably one of the only... Ally buffing things I gave to power. Think about it. All these other spells here are singularity, and it, and it all and this also helps you, right? It's not just helping other people. So it helps you, and then it causes an aura around you to help other people. Maybe I'll move that to celest to um, celestial, but it's okay. Um, almost done here. Speed round, gaseous form, become gas, sneak around, haste. Obviously, you get to go faster. <laughs> and this is where, um, quick thing about haste. Uh, you always see the memes where it's like, oh, a fighter and a wizard are the best friends because of the spell haste. Choose a rolling creature you can see within range until the spell ends. The target speed is doubled. It gains a plus two bonus to AC. It has advantage on dexterity saving throws, and it gains an additional action on each of its turns. Uh, that action can be used only to take the attack, one weapon attack only. 
dash, disengage, hide, or use an object action. Uh, when the spell ends, the target cannot move or take actions until after its next attack as a wave of lethargy sweeps over it. So you need to get that last bit of damage in to kill that last goblin. Then you can cast haste on your creature and he'll be able to do one final attack in and hopefully get it. That's where the fighter has haste. What a time, huh? Um, lightning arrow uh, damage, but it's singular. It's in a line. It's not really, I mean, AOE, I, I guess. Oh, no. Arrow's not, right? Let me see. Uh, 10 feet, whether you hit or miss, each creature within 10 feet of the target will say a dex saving throw. Each of these creatures takes 2d8 lightning on a failed save for half as much on a successful one. I gave lightning arrow to power so that I could give lightning bolt to mystic. So, that's where that fell. Non-detection. Maybe I'm spelling non-detection wrong, but for some reason, this just likes underline it red for me. I don't think I spelled it wrong. No, it's it's all there. Um, for the duration, you hide you hide a target that you touch from divination magic. The target can be a willing creature or a place or an object no larger than ten feet in any dimension. The target cannot be targeted by any divination magic or perceived through magical scrying sensors. So it lets you sneak around if you think there's gonna be sensors. Yep, that's the that in a in a nutshell right there. Um, okay. Uh, tongues let you speak in different languages. Thought that'd be a cool thing to potentially let you sneak around into places if you can potentially speak different languages. Uh, water breathing and water walk because they were utility things. I thought that could help the group sneak or get around to better areas. Okay, if I say sneak one more time, I'm gonna lose it. So, all right, uh, power spells done. <sighs> Celestial spells. Uh, with harnessing the wisdom of the Oru through being able to heal and keep your Oromon alive in battle, you're able to cast some of the most supportive spells in the game. Your spellcasting ability you will use is your wisdom modifier. This is done through the Oru recognizing your wisdom to be able to know the best way to support your friends through the toughest of battles. What does that mean? Very fluff. Yes, it is, but it means your wisdom is your is your stat of choice. Uh, the spells, again, the spells are organized by their spell levels. It would be Dungeons and Dragons, but when first acquired, start at spell level one and need to be fused to go up in, the, in a spell level. If a spell or cantrip improves with you casting it at a higher level instead of player level, it's the spell's own level instead. If cast on an Aramon, their weapon attacks are their melee or ranged attacks when appropriate. Celestial, the wisdom spell caster. You will use your wisdom modifier whenever a spell refers to your spell casting ability. In addition, you will use your wisdom modifier when setting the saving throw for DC for a celestial spell you cast and when making an attack roll with one. Spell save DC equals eight plus your proficiency bonus plus your wisdom mod. Spell attack mod equals your proficiency bonus plus your wisdom modifier. Your wisdom modifier is plus two, your proficiency bonus plus two, your spell attack mod for spell for celestial damage attacks that involve spell attacks, plus four. Okay. Time to get into some of the support. Supportive spells. Um This is where we get into some of the support air quotes. I had to give them some damage spell guys. Um anyway, we got things like Blade Ward, Druidcraft, Guidance. I'm wondering what guidance is, because the other one's pretty well known. Guidance is probably one of the most first examples of a good celestial spell, if I remember correctly. Um, guidance level level zero. That's why I can't find. It. There it is. Okay, guidance. You touch one rolling creature once before the spell ends. That target can roll a d4 and add that number 
roll to one ability check of its choice. It can roll the die before or after making the ability check. The spell then ends. So you can make the check and then roll to see if you need the extra buff to get you there. Totally celestial, totally supporting the team, totally supporting anybody. Good. Uh, light, obviously, holy light, message, casting message, ray of frost. Ray of frost. I gave chill touch to one, I gave ray of frost to the other. <laughs> ray of frost. A frigid blue white light streaks towards a creature within range. Make a ranged spell attack against the target on a hit. It takes 1d8 cold damage and its speed reduced by 10 feet until the start of your next turn. Ray of Frost is there because I gave a lot of the other things like poisons. I figured like poison and like chemical stuff I'd give to Mystic, right? And then I was like, oh, you know, Celestial, they can maybe chill something to... to you could freeze a burn or you could freeze if somebody's got an open wound to try to seal it. Could be an idea. Um, also, to go along with that, we got Sacred, Fr Sacred Flame to go along with that. Uh, resistance. Resistance is again a one that sounds up their alley. You touch one willing creature. Once before the spell ends, the target can roll a d4 and add the number rolled to one saving throw of its choice. It can roll the die before or after the saving throw. The spell then ends. Boy. One is saving throw. Okay, Guidance is ability check. Resistance is saving throw. <laughs> Otherwise, they're the exact same thing. Okay. Didn't even notice that till now. Um, spare the dying. Musical runs. Touch a living creature that has zero hit points. The creature becomes stable. The spell has no effect on undead or constructs. So. The creature dies. It like shatters. I picture like Yu-Gi-Oh kind of like shattering, right? And then goes to your graveyard. So it's spare the dying. It's mostly going to be an outside of combat thing. Usually. Because you can't cast a spell when it's really not your turn. Plus, you need an action to, to do it. So, that might have, might have to do that in the FAQs for sake uh, for Spare the Dying. But, Bramaturgy makes something Thorn Whip. You just cast that thing. Uh, now we get into the first level, second level. So, now we get into healing spells and armor gaining spells and all the support spells here. Armor of Agathis. Not saying that right at all. Agathis. Something. Um, and protective magic force surrounds you, manifesting as a spectral frost that covers you and your gear. You gain five temporary hit points for the duration. <gasps> if a creature hits you with a melee attack while you have these hit points, that creature takes five cold damage. <gasps> right up their alley. Healing and dealing damage. Right? That's right up there. That's totally Celestial's vibe. Is I'm going to heal or give me a buff and it's going to hurt you. Uh, you notice that later on with Vampire. Vampire. Uh, vampiric touch is a perfect example as well. Um, cure wounds, you heal. Command, you give orders, but not command. You're just telling people to leave. Comprehend languages you can understand. Speaking, I'm just going to be a little quick here. Expeditious, okay. Expeditious retreat. I feel like some things I've never even heard of until I started looking into this. But the spell allows you to move at an incredible pace when you cast a spell and then. As a bonus action on each of your turns until the spell ends, you can take the dash action. It lets you run away. <laughs> oh, I remember why I said that now, yeah. I was like, you know, nothing beats healing than not losing any hit points and just running away. Or if you're scouting, right? You want to run back. False life, on the other hand, I think bolstering yourself with a necronic festime of life, you gain 1d4 plus 4 temporary hit points to the duration. Anything that gives you temporary hit points, anything that gives you hit point health is usually there. 
Uh, healing Word is health. Good Berries, health. Heroism. A one creature touches the move of bravery until the spell ends. The creature is immune to being frightened and gains temporary hit points. There it is. <laughs> Equal to your spellcasting ability modifier. Well, your spellcasting ability modifier is, is um, wisdom. Is your spellcasting ability modifier. So your wisdom mod, temporary hit points. And they're immune to being frightened. And the spell ends, target loses any remaining temporary hit points for the spell. Yeah, and concentration up to one minute. Uh, yeah. Cool. Um... Illusory script, long strider, uh, long strider should move better. Illusory script lets you write a hidden message. Uh, like I said, some of these I just kind of were like, we're short on spells. We'll give them to this. <laughs> uh, doesn't necessarily have to fit totally, but um, mage armor, AC, magic missile. This is one where I had to decide. I was like, who should I give magic missile to? And I don't know if you noticed for first level spells so far on this list, but. Uh, the only one that deals potential damage is the armor when you're hit. So I was like, I'm gonna give them magic missile because I was like, I'm not giving them any damaging spells, and we're there's a lot of spells above that. Protection from evil and good, obviously. Um, purify food and drinks stops the poison healing. Sanctuary, one of the best good healing spell. So I gave them searing smite because. Uh, next time you hit a creature with a melee weapon attack, or if your Oromon just melee attacks, during the spell's duration, your your weapon or their claws, talons, teeth, whatever, will illuminate with a white-hot intensity, and the attack deals an extra 1d6 fire damage to the target, and causing the target to ignite in flames. Um, at the start of each of its turns, until the spell ends, the target must make a con saving throw. On a failed save, it takes 1d6 fire damage. On a successful save, the spell ends. The target or creature within 5 feet of it uses an action to put out the flame of some other effort, douse the flame. Uh, the spell ends, yeah. So if they have a way to put out the fire, that's it. But I was like, you know, let's give them a let's give them a let's give them an attack spell because they got magic missile, searing smite, and that's it. <laughs> so I was like, I need to give them something, right? So potentially searing smite can be that of your. It could be holy radiant light. It could be just the fire from your god, whatever you believe in in the game. Um, so maybe I was, I was like, oh, give them that. They needed something <laughs> as like a damaging real spell there. Um, shield of faith, AC buff, speak with animals, uh, figure you talk with the animals, um, unseen servant. So I went along the lines of power gets their floating disc. Celestial gets unseen servant and heads up. Mystic's going to get, um, mage hand so i was like i can conjure see what i mean so they can like air quotes conjure things but it's not really like i'm summoning 16 wolf spiders yeah all right uh second level aid animal messenger because i figured if you can speak with the animals let's give them the messenger ability arcane lock to lock something to stop you guys from taking damage bark skin right up along the lines gain ac calm emotions um, emotion. Uh, you attempt to suppress strong emotions in a group of people. Each human in a 20-foot radius sphere in your point. Charisma save. Uh, choosing the save that fail. They can choose to fail if they wish. If a creature fails, choose one of the following two effects. You can suppress any effect causing a target to become charmed or frightened. When this spell ends, any suppressed effect resumes. Yeah, so you can basically stop somebody from being charmed or frightened. 
So I figured that's that's healing, that's restoring, right? That that's alleviating of some pain or difficulty. Um, dark vision, I've seen the dark, enhance, enhancing ability, gentle repose is an interesting one. That to me sounds like it should be like an attack back, but it's not. Gentle repose is basically for the duration the target is protected from decay and cannot become undead. You touch a corpse or other remains. The spell also effectively extends the time limit on raising the target from the dead and sends it yes. Yeah, so basically keeps keeps things fresh longer. Right? If you're like <gasps> our buddy, he he got attacked. He his two Aramon he summoned died and our things couldn't protect him, but he got he got down. He's he's dead. Let's let's bring him. We gotta find the thing. We gotta find a healer. We gotta find a cleric. Something to bring him back. Let's cast gentle repose on him. Keep the body fresh, and we'll go. So, plus, so many creatures they could carry him for you. You know, um, knock. Just uh, I'm pretty sure knock. Just like an alarm system. Oh no, it opens. It opens chests or doors or something. Right? Let me see. Target is, is held. Uh, choose an object that you can see within the range. The object can be a door, box, chest. Set of set of manacles, a padlock, or another object. Target that is held shut by a mundane lock or that is stuck or barred becomes unlocked, unstuck, or unbarred. It just opens things for you, basically. Less restoration heals things. Locate animal or plants, like I said. Uh, Celestial is really druid heavy, so it makes sense. Locate the animals to speak with them or to give the animal messenger. Mm -hmm. Misty step. Get out of there. I'm taking a lot of hits as the healer. I want to back up. Because if my second Armand dies, I can't cast spells. My disc shuts off. I can no longer heal and support the team. So, uh, Moonbeam. Druid aspect, right? Like I said, um, using nature for a Moonbeam. That one could have been for really different people, but I kind of assumed, I was like, you know, we're going for the Druid as one of the classes that Celestial representing. So give the Moonbeam, Prayer of Healing. Healing, Rope Trick, Fun at Parties. Silence, um, silence stops. What does silence do again? Silence here. Uh, for the duration, no sound can be created within or past a 20-foot radius sphere centered on a point you choose within range. Any creature object entirely inside the sphere is immune to thunder damage. And creatures are deafened while entirely inside it. Casting a spell that includes a verbal component is impossible there. So, a little bit of tricksterish, and that's what I'm saying. I, I, I let each class kind of like dip their toes into the other one through a spell or two, but really they're they're in their own aspect, right? So that's kind of their dip into Mystic a little, little bit, little, little bit. So by causing a little bit of chaos, but um, spider climb. Uh, just figured they can climb Druid. Made sense. Uh, warding a bond. Oh yeah, that puts a ward up on a door that you can then use it to recast stuff later, which is kind of cool. Spiritual weapon. Uh, I figured if I give flame blade up here, spirit weapon here, and um, there's a weapon, uh, flaming sphere to mystic is what it was. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna read spiritual weapon for those that don't know. Spiritual weapon. Create a floating spectral weapon within range that lasts the duration or until you cast the spell again. When you cast the spell, you make a melee spell attack against a creature within five feet of the weapon. On a hit, the target takes force damage equal to 1d8, your spellcasting mod. As a bonus action on your turn, you can move the weapon up to 20 feet and repeat the attack against a creature within five feet of it. The weapon can take whatever the form you choose. So, yeah. 
So here's your little special weapon that floats by your Oromon. Your Oromon goes in for the bite attack and then the claw bonus and then can also hit him with a spectral sword. Alrighty, one of the most controversial spells that took me forever. Um, I asked the Discord, um, didn't hear too many responses back so far. So, Animate Dead is a spell of question. I might include it, I might not. I value guys' opinion on what I think should be done with Animate Dead. I was like, the, the concept of it outside of combat is huge, right? Being able to talk with the dead to bring them back to ask them questions for things. Basically, it's you bring back something to life, right? If it's a pile of bones, it becomes a skeleton. If it's flesh, it's a zombie. Each of your turns, bones action mentally command any creature you may with the spell. The creature's under your control for 24 hours, after which it stops obeying any command you give it. So, if you no command, the creature guards only defends itself. I might get rid of it, actually, because I thought it was different. It just lets you conjure some undead. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think I'm going to have to get rid of it. Sorry. I don't want people to summon, like, armies of the undead and have their creature. Now, if you summon a creature and that creature has spells, that's all power to you. But being an Oromancer has to then control that in addition to knowing, like, okay, he's out. This is out. I casted that. I have to remember to recast that the next day. No. We'll just worry about your one creature. If that creature lets you summon other creatures, that's a different story. But almost done here. Um all right. Aura of vitality. If you guess protection, you're right. It gives some sort of defensive buff. It uh until the spell ends, the aura moves with you centered on you. You can use bonus action to cause one creature in the aura to regain two d6 hit points. Yep, that's your healing aura. Beacon of hope. Again, um, choose any number of creatures in the range for the duration. Each target has advantage on wisdom saving throws and death saving throws. Huge for if someone gets knocked down and regains the maximum number of hit points possible from any healing. That doesn't scream celestial. Um, clairvoyance. What's clairvoyance again? Um... Make a sensor. Okay, so it causes a sound effect to be played if something triggers or touches the sensor. Got it. Okay. Daylight makes death. Uh, daylight feign death. That's the one that I was thought was really cool. For the spell's duration, uh, or until you use an action to touch the target and dismantle the spell, the target appears dead to all outward inspection and to spells used to determine the target's status. The target is blinded and incapacitated and its speed drops to zero, so you can make something look dead. As the healer. Kind of cool. Liamon's Tiny Hut. I could not believe that this was a real spell. I, you know, I really haven't looked at the spell list a ton in my, like, eight, nine years of playing. I've also been a DM, right? So, but. Liamon's Tiny Hut lets you create a literal, like, dome of force. The main stationary. Nine creatures of medium size or smaller can fit inside the dome with you. So you make, like, your own, like, little bubble. Your own, like, little hiding spot for people to chill out in. Magic circle, stop stuff, mass healing word, big heal, meld into stone. Just seems right you can meld and walk through stone. Plant growth, you already can talk into plants anyway. Remove curse, get rid of that stuff. Revivify. Again, probably just on players, probably not creatures, because that just gets too much. Touch a creature that's died within the last minute. Now, obviously, wild creature, maybe. Depends on if the DM rules that, that they shatter, explode, and you get their card, or if they just shoot a card out and they're, they're dead. 
Depends on what the DM wants. Creature turns to life with one hit point. Probably other players is the big one for that. Uh, speak with dead. Talk with the dead. Speak with plants. Talk with the plants. Spirit Guardians is healing. Vampiric Touch is dealing damage and healing. Whew. Okay, we got through Celestial pretty good. Like I said, guys, this is just the first half for spells. I haven't done fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, blah, blah, blah. But I think I'm halfway through the list because most of these spells are lower levels and then there's few more. There's fews in each and hires. So Mystic, almost done, everybody. Unless you like listening. In which case, thank you for, for staying. It really does mean a lot to me. If you lose listening, I smile at the camera. Anyway, Mystic Spells. With harnessing the intelligence of the Oru by being able to cause chaos through afflicting multiple enemies with your spells and causing dismay to your enemies, you help to make weaklings out of your foes. Your spellcasting ability you will use is your intelligence modifier. This is done through the Oru recognizing your intelligence and knowledge of the elements within the Oru. The spells are organized by their spell level as they would be in Dungeons & Dragons. Everything's organized as it would be in the book. Right? Spells that you get always start at actual level 1, not actually the level that they are written. Mystic, the Intelligent Spellcaster. You'll use your Intelligence modifier whenever a spell refers to your spellcasting ability. In addition, you use your Intelligence modifier when setting the saving throw for DC for a power... Oh, I gotta change that. Oh, oh, oh. For a Mystic. Spell you cast when making an attack roll with 1. Yeah, a little slip there. Anyway, uh, spell save, 8 plus your proficiency bonus plus your intelligence mod, and then spell attack is your proficiency bonus plus your intelligence. Ugh. <laughs> Gonna go try to quick. My voice is, like, getting shot. Sorry. Um, my room's also very hot, and if you're hearing construction, sorry also. Um, but anyway. Cantrips. Acid splash. Basically, poison is always here. Elemental damage usually here. Acid splash. Dancing lights. Friends. Um... I'll read friends quick. Poison spray, mage hand, minor illusion, shocking grasp, vicious mockery. All sounded like good things for Mystic. I'll read friends though, so I can explain why. Why do they have the friends? <laughs> friends. For the duration of advantage on all charisma checks directed at one creature of your choice that isn't hostile towards you. When the spell ends, the creature realizes that you use magic to influence its mood and become hostile towards you. A creature prone to violence might attack you. Another creature might seek retribution in other ways. So for friends, right? For the duration of advantage on all charisma checks directed at one creature of your choice. So let you talk with them. Be like, you know, hey, maybe I want this deal on this book. You have advantage on all charisma checks. So you're trying to persuade somebody. You cast friends on them. Hey, they're my buddy now. I want that advantage on that spell book. So, or hey, how about a deal on packs, Miss Shopkeep? And then you cast... Persuading her, but you casted friends on her. So. And she's with you, and then she gets hostile later, but let you get more spells better. Yeah, I think the thing with the most spells, uh, debatable. I mean, Mystics. Actually, Mystics might have. I don't know. To me, I felt like a lot of these were big. It's just there's so many second level and first level spells in the game. I was. Huh. All right. Arms of Hadar, AoE area of effect. Bane. Well, like, look for that. Charm person seemed really fitting. You're causing chaos, right? And I guess causing chaos with friends is pretty, pretty good. It lets you be able to use persuasion on people pretty well. So, Bane. Wasn't always born in the darkness, Batman. Bane. 
Up to three creatures of your choice, as you can see, within range must make charisma saving throws. Whenever a target that fails the saving throw makes an attack roll or saving throw before the spell ends, the target must roll a d4 and subtract the number. Oh, subtract numbers, causing the chaos, hurting them. Chromatic orb, chromatic orb. One of probably your strongest spells for you early. Create a water, there it is again in color spray. Um, Chromatic orb, there it is. I was like, why can't I find it? You hurl a four inch diameter sphere of energy at a creature that you can see within range. You choose acid, cold, fire, lightning, poison, or thunder elements, right? All up chemicals, all up in the guys, all up in um, Mystic's zone. You then make a ranged spell attack against the target. If the attack hits, the target takes three d8 damage of your choice. Very strong, but it's elemental. So it goes to Mystic, not Power. Uh, detect poison and disease. Figured you know about chemistry. You know the life, you know, like what elements and things. So you could, you could probably detect the poison, right? Use poison creatures a lot. Disguise self. You change yourself into something else, right? You try to be sneaky, cause chaos. Uh, entangle. I remember Entangle. A creature in the area you cast the spell must succeed on a strength saving throw or be restrained by the entangling plants until the spell ends. That's right. I gave Entangle to this because it causes like an AoE entanglement and Thorn Whip to power because power, while it can also restrain and entangle something, it's a single thing versus Entangle's AoE. Um, fairy Fire. That's a good one. That's very utility based. Fa fairy. Fairy Fire. Each object of 20 foot cube. Is outlined in blue, green, or violet. Any target in the area with the spell is also an outline in light. It fails to deck saving throw for the duration. Objects and affected creatures shed a dim light. Any attack roll against an affected creature object has advantage. You do that to all the bad guys, you give your whole team advantage. Uh, the attacker can see it, and the affected creature object can't benefit from being invisible. If somebody's got an invisible thing, you cast in the area, you make that thing glow now. Or if that thing that was there turns invisible, trying to hide. You're still seeing it glow. So. Fog cloud, obviously, AoE cloud. Um, grease. Messy. AoE grease. Hex. Hex, I feel like I should talk about. Sorry that I'm going through this so quick, guys, but, you know, time's going and this was a lot. <laughs> uh, the target drops to zero. Uh, you place a curse. First three words, four words. Sounds like Mystic right, right out of the get-go. Place a curse that targets a creature you can see within range. Until the spell ends, you deal extra 1d6 necrotic damage to the target whenever you hit with an attack. Also, choose one ability when you cast the spell. The target has disadvantage on ability checks made with that ability. Ooh, that sounds Mystic all the way, huh? Um, jump. I gave Featherfall to one. I gave Featherfall to power. Celestial, I gave Longstrider, so I gave jump. To Mystic. Basically, every class has some way of improving their distances. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. Or making sure that they don't die. Ooh. Where you have sickness. Obviously. A silent image. Merger Silent Image goes right along with Prestidigitation, Druidcraft, all things like that, but uh, Silent Image. The site that I use for spells, pretty good. Uh, organized it by book too, so I could just play your handbook spells, which was nice. Um, but it doesn't seem to want to load Silent Image for me. 
You create an image of an object in a 15 foot cube, visible no larger than 15 feet. Image appears as a spot. You basically just make an image, alter the image. Physical interaction with the image reveals it to be an illusion. Because you use the action to examine the image can determine it is an illusion with an investigation check. So it basically just makes an image. Um, sleep. I feel like sleep's a fun thing. Chaos, putting things to sleep. Be careful. You could put your teammates to sleep as well. Tasha's hideous laughter, obviously. Um, Tasha's hideous laughter. Um, yeah, it makes people laugh and go insane. Target must succeed in wisdom, semi through or fall prone, becoming incapacitated and unable to stand for the duration. Uh, at the end of this turn, it can try to break out of it, yada. Uh, thunder wave, AOE, bam, thunder damage, wrathful smite, smite that I gave to this guy. Wrathful smite, next time you hit with a melee weapon attack on your turn, your attack does 1d6 psychic damage. Additionally, if the target is a creature, it's like a wisdom saving throw, be frightened of you until the spell ends. Causing chaos, right? Again, making people scared of you. Cause that for power had one, give you mystic one. Alrighty, done with first level, almost done. First level, uh, second level, alter self. Figured you can change yourself with disguise self, you can alter yourself. Augury. Augury. Um. Yeah, basically just this one was really weird. Um, you receive an omen from an otherworldly entitled about the results of a specific course of action that you plan to take within the next 30 minutes. I didn't know this was a spell actually, but I guess it is. Basically you get to get DM saying, hey, you say, DM, if we do this, what will happen? And you get good results, bad results, good and bad results, nothing. Yeah, so basically ask a question and you're saying, will this yield a good or bad result? And that's, DM kind of helps with that. So. Yeah, DM makes this role in secret. So to see what, which, which, uh, DM makes the role to see what, what response it should give. But yeah. Interesting. Uh, blindness, deafness, problems, cloud of daggers, AO. Okay. All right. I know, I know. I said AOE, piercing. for power but powers stuff is usually that as a one-time shebang cloud of daggers gets to just stay there and continuously deal piercing so pretty cool uh cordon of arrows you're like arrows ryan that's that's piercing um until this okay you plant four pieces of non-magic ammunition which is to me sounds way more chaotic than power. Uh, you plant four pieces of non-magic ammunition arrows or crossbow bolts in the ground within range and lay magic upon them to protect an area until the spell ends. Whenever a creature other than you comes within comes within thirty feet of the ammunition for the first time on a turn or ends its turn there, one piece of ammunition flies up to strike it. The creature must succeed on a deck saving throw or take one d six piercing damage. The piece of ammunition is then destroyed. The spell ends when no ammunition remains. So. Uh, when you cast a spell, you can designate any creature you choose, and the spell ignores them. That's cool. You can do it to your team and be like, yo, we're all protected, but if, if any enemy walks into our turf band, they'll take 2d6 of arrows flying. They set traps, basically. So, I figured that was the trap setting up was enough chaoticness for Mystic. Um, detect thoughts. This is where, you know, power identifies and figures out things, but detecting their thoughts... A penny for your thoughts, right? A penny being the component for detect thoughts, which I thought was interesting. Um, being the reason for that. 
Enthrall. Enthrall. You weave a distracting string of words, causing creatures of your choice you can see within range that can hear you to make a wisdom saving throw. Any creature that can be charmed succeeds on saving throw automatically, and if you or your companions are fighting a creature, is advantage on the save. On a failed save, the target is disadvantage on perception checks made to perceive any creature other than you until the spell ends or until the target can no longer hear you. Oh. Basically causing them a lot of weakness to be able to only see you. And very niche as well. So, uh, Flaming Sphere. Pretty cool. I liked Flaming Sphere. Very goes with the Chromatic Orb. Flaming Sphere. Five foot diameter sphere appears in an area. Any creature that ends its turn within five feet of the sphere must make a deck saving throw or take 2d6 fire damage or half as much success. Bonus action, move the sphere 30 feet. If you ran the sphere into a creature, the creature must make the saving throw against the sphere's damage. And the sphere stops moving that turn. So you can like just command it, boom, 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 fly into people. And anybody in that area of five feet next to it takes damage as well. Uh, let's see. Gust of wind, make wind, visibility. Visibility I felt was chaotic -y for mystic versus the, the entire sneaking and seeing the truth of power. While power has some things that let him sneak, that's the little nugget that mystic gets from power, right? They'll, let's make our group turn invisible. Bam. So. Uh, locate object, being able to find things was fine. Magic mouth, causing a magical mouth to appear to speak to you in different languages. Sounds right at Mystic's Alley. Melf's Acid Arrow. Again, another one that I was surprised to find out about, so I'm going to tell you guys. Um, a shimmering green arrow strikes towards a target with, within range and bursts into a spray of acid. Make a ranged spell attack against the target on a hit. The target takes 44 acid immediately and 2d4 acid at the end of its next turn. On a miss, the arrow splashed the target with acid for half as much, and no damage at the end. So, yeah, acid, sun right up the alley. Nostal's Magic Aura. I think the names, I think I don't really know much about. When you cast a spell, choose one or both of the following effects. The effect lasts for the duration. If you cast a spell on the same creature or object every day for 30 days, placing the same effect on each time the illusion lasts until it is dispelled. So you can technically put something on it permanently if you cast this. Place an illusion on a creature and object you touch that the divination spell reveals false information about it. So if you want to have someone to be secretive, every day you cast it, and then after 30 days, they'll permanently have a secretive thing. Give a false aura. Um, change the way that the magic affects, such as detect magic that detects magical auras. You can make a non-magic object appear magical, so you can make something be magic, or you can make things not be magical. A mask, you change the way, so there's false aura, which makes something not be truthful. And then there's mask, which is you can change the way the target appears to spell the magical effects that detect it, such as a paladin's divine sense or the trigger of a symbol spell. You choose a creature type and other spells and magical effects to the target as if they were a creature in that type of the alignment. Oh, okay. So basically mask is you can hide something or, and then false aura is you can alter it and change it. Phantasmal Force, obviously dealing a large amount of force damage, like whoosh, right up that alley. Shatter, AoE damage, spike growth. Very mystic, because AoE spikes coming out of the ground, sounds pretty good, causing chaos for the enemy. 
suggestion, making them speak to you if they don't want to speak to you, or giving them a command that maybe they don't necessarily want to do, but if they're friendly enough, sure. Web. You web somebody in your spike growth, and then they're not going to have a good day. <laughs> Third level, bestow curse, giving somebody a curse, calling lightning, summoning forth lightning, AoE. Okay. I figured if any class deserved counterspell, it was Mystic. Uh, that's one of my questions too. How does counterspell work? It works to stop an Oromancer or Oromon from casting a spell, but does not stop the summoning of an Oromon onto the field. Because I guarantee that that was a question on. Because these things are magical, how does that work with them? Being detected with detect magic, can they stop them from summoning? No. Uh, elemental weapon, that's it. So they get an elemental weapon, right? Because they're all about the elements. Celestial gets a flame blade. Oh no. Power gets flame blade. Celestial gets a spiritual weapon. And then elemental weapon is for mystic, obviously. Fear, making people scared of you, running away. Fly, make the whole group just... Or I think just yourself, right? Fly just yourself. You touch a, a willing creature. So yourself or somebody else or, or a creature that you're controlling. It gains a flying speed of 60. When the spell ends, the target falls. If it's spell aloft, unless it can stop the fall. Glyph of warding makes glyphs to do effects. Uh, hypnot uh, hunger of Hadar's AOE damage. Hypnotic pattern is very mystic. Create a twirling pattern or twisting pattern of colors that waves through the air inside a 30 foot cube within range. The pattern appears for a moment and vanishes. Each creature in the area who sees the pattern must make a wisdom saving throw. On a failed save, the creature becomes charmed for the duration. While charmed by the spell, the creature is incapacitated and has a speed of zero. So you basically charm them and they're knocked out. Pseudo knocked out, not really knocked out, but. You get good hits on them afterwards. Or if they're wild creatures and you need to get by them and you cast hypnotic pattern, they all look at it. Damn, they're all sleeping. Uh, if they take any damage, the spell ends. If someone else uses an action to shake the creature out of its stupor, it wakes up as well. But Lightning bolt. AoE damage. Major image. I figured if you can make a minor image, let's let them make a large image as well. Protection from energy. <laughs> it's a spell. Um... The duration, the willing creature you touch has resistance to one damage type of your choice. Acid, cold, fire, lightning, or thunder. So I was like, oh, elements? Protection from elements? Sure. Um, sleet, storm, AoE. Not damage, but AoE slipping, sliding, falling prone. Slow. That makes the creature slow down. Only take one thing a turn, which can be huge. And I'm going to say this now, too. While players don't get many multi-attacks unless you're certain classes, a lot of monsters in D&D do. So, slowing an enemy creature is huge. Uh, sticking cloud, damage thing, and then wind wall, a wall of wind. Pretty self-explanatory. Make a foot foot high. You can shape the wind any way you choose. When the wind appears, each creature within the air must make a strength save. A creature takes 3d8 bludgeoning damage on a failed save, so the wind just throws them. And that's it for spells. Uh, cantrip level to 3. That I worked on. Um, yeah, so I know this wasn't, like I said, I didn't work on a ton of stuff on the change log. I just, oh, I added bonding, and I added cantrips level, or I added spells cantrip to three. But it was a lot, and I sparks notes it with you, right? Um, so, if there's a spell that you think deserves to be in something else, or that you think I did wrong with the placement, let me know, please, so I can fix it. If there's frequently, if you have questions on certain spells and how it works in the game as a whole, like I said, drop them down below if you're on Podbean. Grab these other sources. 
even if you just watch on YouTube and you go and download the download on another source, the problem is I can't. If it's any source but YouTube, I can track things. I can see who's downloaded it from where in the world. I can see how many downloads it's gotten so I can know the popularity. On YouTube, all I can see is views, which is nice. But if I can have everything be combined into one, like if you're listening on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever it be, um, downloading this helped so I could see where things are at like publicly wise, like you can download it and just immediately go to YouTube. That's fine with me. I don't care. That helps a lot. It just, it just helps get the name into circulation better. Um, and I noticed too, which I was blown away with um, when I was checking out the YouTube earlier, just a little side note, that the first episode of this has number one, creating an Oromancer slash um, new background slash example starting deck, right? Episode one. 50 views. Guys, that's crazy. This YouTube has not been up for a while and it's only got 20 subs, but I think that's really cool. It means we're growing, guys, and I love that. And to get more people involved in this project, the better, because then you can get different opinions on things. There could be things that people miss. Like, I'm human. I will be making mistakes. It's just a part of it. So, uh, without further ado, like I said, um, within the next couple of days, and I'll make an announcement on Discord, I'll make an announcement on Instagram, I'll make an announcement where I can make the announcement, I might not make a video about it until next week where I talk about it again, but I'm going to try to get the Patreon up because getting art and being able to support a local artist for the pro not even local, but just being able to support an artist in the project is not going to be the cheapest thing. So, um, obviously, if there's over 300 creatures just in the Monster Manual alone, if most of those have one, two evolutions, that's going to be a lot of money so i cannot guarantee you having pictures for everything but i'll do my best to get stat blocks for almost everything no i mean of course eventually i will have stat blocks for everything but um next week is probably going to be me finishing spells and maybe i'll start showing some of the creatures it all depends on how things fall um i might get into items you can get i still have to decide so yeah that's a good question actually you're on the Discord, you're on the YouTube discussion as well. Um, if you're on any comments or anything, comment down below. What should my next thing be after spells? Because spells was a huge thing I wanted to get done out of the way. It's just placing them in categories, but figuring out which ones I want where. Um, and, and like I said, reading a spell and being like, should I cut this? Like Animate Dead, like we talked about, I was like, all right, I'm cutting it. It's fine. Or if it's somewhere I was like, this is not going to make any sense within the game, cutting it. So, like some really intensive ritual ones I just cut because I was like, I don't want my players taking like four hours to do something that's not actually going to be helpful um so but yeah uh hopefully you guys have enjoyed the work i put in so far i've enjoyed doing this and like i said if any sorts of funds that ever comes from this project will go right back into the project whether it's supporting the artist supporting an editor someday to start getting videos and episodes up again if it's um even just making more art for the book as a whole it's not to be creatures whatever it be i've had a lot of fun doing this and like i said i'm going to continue to do this um and again, schedule is going to be weird just because it's my last month of school until summer. So after that, I should be able to focus more time on it in between working. So yeah, with that being said, thank you all for watching. If you're still listening and you made it through, thank you so much. It does mean a lot to me because I can check to the average time where people check out videos on YouTube. Podbean and other stuff, I really can't check out the where people have listened to. But on YouTube, I definitely can. And I noticed like it means a lot to me, the people that have stuck around. So thank you guys so much for this. And um. If you don't have anybody else interested, be sure, like I said, to share this project with people so that we can build the world, build the world together. If you're on, if you haven't been a member of the Discord yet, 
be sure to check out some of the older videos of the discord link like maybe i'll try to get the discord link down below for people again to join so that way if you have art that you want to draw that you want to submit like goku king did here um it can be in the book if you want to submit your own ideas if you think hey this sounds cool uh, or hey ryan you should fix this this doesn't make sense um then i'll we'll be sure to try to get that fixed um yeah i just realized i have a really wrong wording in my proficiency section from my uh, medication thing so i will go through to try to fix that i just realized so uh everybody just saw that um sorry i'm gonna fix that it's a medical thing that i had written in the book by accident i control v'd and pasted somewhere so anyway with that being said um i will hopefully catch you guys next time let me know down below if you think after spells what i should do next if it should be special items or if i should start to add monsters and just not have pictures yet so let me know what you think all right catch you later